SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. What's up, everybody? We are back for another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Sun Belt Podcast. I am your host, as always, Brian Stone, joined by my co-host once again, Matt Miguez. Matt, say hello to everybody at home. Sunbelt Nation, how's it going, Brian? As always, happy to be here. Absolutely, and we're talking about your favorite team today, the uh, Louisiana Monroe Warhawks. Uh, looking at them from the lens of, you know, having perspective on on the 2019 season as it stood, what were your thoughts on the way that the Warhawks competed last year? Uh, you know, they weren't very good. Um, you know, you, you had the you opened with a big win over Grambling, and then you go to you go to Tallahassee and play Florida State, who had a bad year last year. But you know, if you get a win against a program like that, that's a that's a big deal for your program. You know, they lose by one on yeah. the uh, on the missed. It was a missed extra point that yeah. that they lost the game on. You know they just they just don't do well with with field goals and goalposts and stuff like that, um, right? But and then you know you go to Ames and play Iowa State, who the Cajuns have on their schedule for this year, and Iowa State beat them seventy two to twenty. And from that yeah, game that on, from that game on, you just kind of knew that their season wasn't going to go very well. Well, uh, looking back at their schedule, I, I really think the turning point was uh, the win over Texas State. And when I say turning point, I don't mean in a positive way. Uh, you know, at that point, they were 500. They were sitting at three and three. You know, they did have a tough slate after the Texas State win. But, you know, some of these games came down to, you know, one or two plays and you could have had two potential more wins, you know. So, so like just just for perspective, uh, October tenth, a Thursday night, they beat Texas State twenty four to fourteen. From then on, they go. Let me see here: two and four the rest of the way. Uh, losses to App State, Arkansas State, Georgia Southern, and you guys, the Cajuns. Uh, they only win two more games from there on out against Georgia State, who. Uh, I believe that was the game that Dan Ellington, Georgia State's Dan quarterback, got tore his ACL. Um, so he played, you know, sparsely in that game. And then they beat Coastal by three. Uh, but from there on, you which, know, like I said, neither, neither wins impressive. No. I, I mean, looking back at both of those teams' slates, it, it, and especially where they caught Georgia State in the schedule, if they had beaten Georgia State early, you would go, wow, that was a, that was a really good win for them. But catching them with their quarterback tearing his ACL, you know, it, right. it significantly diminishes the impress how and, impressive a win like that is. And you see as, as a as a Louisiana fan, I hate to dimi- diminish the season that Monroe had last year strictly because and I might be the only person to say this, we didn't deserve to beat Monroe last year. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah. We only won the game because like I said with their game against Florida State they don't do well kicking field goals. Yeah. I mean, I mean had, it's, had, it's had hard to dispute that. Goal at the end of the game, we lose. It's hard to dispute that uh, given how both of those games ended. Uh, and coming from uh, being a fan of a school that had kicker issues, 
for a, for a lengthy period of time, it felt like it's so tough to have your entire season or, or rather two games that were definitely winnable come down to the leg of a guy who plays and what 15 snaps. a right. game. Could, could you imagine winning the game against Florida state in overtime and then beating Louisiana being seven and five and having a win over an ACC school and you're going to a bowl game. All you needed was a decent kicker. Yeah, well, those guys, uh, especially at the at the level of uh, group of five football that that we you know cheer for teams that play at, those guys don't grow on trees. I mean, there's a reason that like even a team as great as Alabama's been during Saban's tenure, they've never had a steady kicker. It felt like, and that right. was where their Achilles heel has been. So if if a team like Alabama potentially couldn't get a kicker, I'm not surprised that Louisiana Monroe is going to have kicking issues. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree with you. Uh, but, you know, I will say this, Louisiana's been fortunate the last few years to have decent kickers, and then I think we've we've gotten a solid one in uh, Indi- uh, Indiana transfer in uh, Nate Schneider. Yeah, and, and for – for like I said, a position that takes maybe fifteen snaps a game total, as as a kicker, it's really you really, it, it's almost like referees where if they're doing their job well, you don't notice they're there, but the second that things start to go south, you're like, we need to get this guy out of here. Right. So that's the way that I, I approach kickers too. Is like, you know, the times that Georgia Southern has had young young way Koo, who's now kicking for the, the Falcons and Tyler Bass, who's now with the, the Buffalo Bills. You know, when we've had those two guys, I've almost, you know, said, you know, this is automatic. I, I don't I don't really worry about these guys. You know, they may miss occasionally, but it's never going to be an extra point to lose a football game. I'm, I'm right. never worried about that. But those guys are worth their weight in gold when, once you find uh, a good college level kicker. But so uh, here's my question to you, Matt. Uh, I am looking at Matt Viator's career record as a head coach with Louisiana Monroe. His career record is 19 and 29 as a head coach for the Warhawks. He's never had a season better than 500. I understand that they don't value. I guess I guess value is not the right word. I guess they don't. They're not as diehard about their football program, or else I feel like there would have been a change that would have happened. How much right. longer do you think he can go without having a winning season and still remain the head coach of the Warhawks? You see, I, I'm going to dispute that point, and I'm going to dispute it with his previous head coaching record when he was at McNeese State. He was the head coach at McNeese State from 2006 to 2015. And in that span, he went 78 and 33. So why do you think that hasn't translated to the Sun Belt? Because people do not want to play for Louisiana Monroe. Okay, so do you think that's a culture issue with the team? The issue is a, is a program culture slash recruiting problem. I don't think it's a coaching problem, which is why Matt Viator hasn't lost his job. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's totally valid. I, I, you know, as a fan of a team who we, it feels like we play Louisiana Monroe every year, and maybe we do. I, I, I'd have to go back and check, but I don't have the ins and outs of that program. So, and I don't hear a lot from their fan base. So it's really hard for me to kind of get a temperature on, on how they view their football program. But if you believe that it's a, it's a culture issue, 
do you think that it's something that can be corrected with time or do you think it's going to be one of those things where eventually they say you know we gave we gave Viator his time and it just didn't work out so we're just going to move on to the next guy sadly i think that's what's going to end up happening um strictly because in in my opinion and i i don't want to be too blunt when i say this i don't think monroe's going to realize that they have a culture problem mm-hmm. um so yeah i think i think they're going to be quick to say oh well you know it's a coaching issue let's get rid of him yeah it's a what it, what's the phrase those in glass houses shouldn't right. throw stones <laughs> right. you know they they're they're uh they're in a kind of a fragile position as far as uh culture goes and it's really hard to even it, you would have to get an absolute superstar stud of a coach who is like reeling off of losing a, a bigger time job to come in and, and kind of set that straight you know i, I right. think of, like, a, like a kevin sumlin maybe Right. You know, a Kevin Sumlin, uh, who's the, who's the head coach now of South Florida? Um, Oh, uh, Taggart, Willie Taggart, like those, those type of guys where it's like, they had a big job. They just couldn't fill the shoes. Right. Yeah. And, and they, they're, they're kind of licking their wounds and, you know, a Charlie strong or something. Right, right, right. So maybe that's what it's going to take. Maybe they're just going to have to strike at the right time and, and it may come at the expense of Matt Viator's job, but in order for the Warhawks to kind of turn a corner, they might have to have a complete shakeup from the top down. And, but, and you know that that's a shame because as much as I, you know, talk about how much I dislike ULM as from a from a rivalry standpoint, there might not be a better guy in college football than Matt Viator. Yeah, and just a, just a class act gentleman. And yeah, like, like I said, if, if it comes down to that, which I could very well see it doing, that's just, that's a shame in my opinion. So look, just, just finally like wrapping up their 2019 schedule, this isn't saying a lot, obviously, but they had a really rough year overall. Do you consider the game against Coastal to be their most impressive win when you take context into account? Maybe. Yeah. Um, or, you know, maybe getting the and, – and, you know, I, I can't really say Georgia State because, like you said earlier, that was the game Dan Ellington towards ACL. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that kind of ruins the validity of that win. But – so, yeah, I, I'd, I'd probably have to say you're right on the money with, with the Coastal win. Yeah, and that's that's not saying a whole lot. No, but, no it's not. No, it's not. Uh, but so – Getting into this year, uh, I guess the maybe not the elephant in the room, but the number one thing in my mind, and I'm sure you think the exact same way that they're going to have to overcome is the loss of Caleb Evans uh, to graduation, because say what you want about his numbers. They weren't overly they didn't jump off the page at you. You know, his rushing numbers were very impressive, but passing wise, he was kind of a a middle of the road type of quarterback. However, he was the the one who carried this team for as long as I can remember. One hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, God, you know, we're we're talking about his numbers throwing the ball not being very impressive. The kid threw for twenty nine hundred yards and twenty touchdowns last year. Well, it, it, it's it's kind of when you view it the the record as a whole, and then you go back and look, and you're like, you know, there right. are teams in the Sun Belt that run the ball nonstop, like Georgia Southern. Then there's teams that th- air the ball out a ton, like Arkansas State or Troy or something like that. 
right, right. It, they're they're kind of neither. And when you're looking at the numbers in a vacuum, they're not as overly impressive, and they don't they don't really like make your eyes pop out, and you're like, wow, I really need to pay attention to this team, and because they're putting up numbers, but right. But you know, I, I will say this: when your quarterback runs for 800 yards and 12 touchdowns, wow. Well, that's the thing is, is as far as I could remember, you know, he seemed like the uh, type of guy who had been at Louisiana Monroe for oh, what he, been like there seven years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and, and passing wise, his numbers never really, I mean, his sophomore year was probably his best season when he threw 17 touchdowns and six picks right? and, and had almost 2,900 yards passing. But it, it, it was almost an issue of you had to think about it in the, in the, realm of who was there to help him yeah for uh, sure. so that was that was what really kind of hurt them last I year re- but. i can remember his sophomore year they came to lafayette and we ul we were down 21 at one point and we came back forced overtime and ulm ended up winning in overtime but i can remember caleb evans having five touchdowns rushing in that game. Yeah, that's wild. Like, he picked our defense apart. So, you know, you, you talk about him being there forever. Imagine how Cajun fans feel. Absolutely. Uh, so, getting into replacing him is is going to be, you know, I think in both of our opinions, uh, the hardest thing to do uh, when it comes to this year's team. Now, they do have uh, Colby Suits. Uh, who looks like he may be the starter, wasn't super efficient in the games that he appeared in last year. I think he completed something like 32% of his passes, but he only had 19 attempts. So, uh, Yeah, he didn't didn't get a whole lot of time. But this guy that I have been reading up on is is impressive, at least from a a physical talent perspective. Apparently they have a a junior college transfer in, Jeremy Hunt. Jeremy Hunt. Yep. Who, who, when you just look at his measurables, this guy looks like the real deal. I, I mean, was, I was just about to talk about him. I think he's going to be the starter. I think. I think if they want to run roughly the same type of offense that they ran with Evans, he's got to be the starter because I think he gives you so much more as a dual threat uh, under center. Yeah. No. There's. You're, you're absolutely right. Like you said. You know, they want to run the same offense that you would you would run with Caleb Evans. Uh, Jeremy Hunt's the guy, and specifically, he's the guy based on just raw ability. Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah, uh, he, he's just a freak athlete. So Jeremy Hunt, six four, two twenty five, are his measurables. Uh, apparently, played for Central Missouri. Uh, before going to a junior college for a year, I believe, and has now transferred in and will compete with Colby Suits. Uh, as the quarterback but i you know if suits doesn't take the next step in camp i think it's got to be hunt as the guy uh unless like i said suits really like just blows you away with what you see in practice and another guy that you can look out for he grew up in in monroe's backyard hayes crockett from starlington high school right there in monroe uh he's a he's a phenomenal talent as well uh, I think he's a guy that, you know, maybe a year on the sidelines would be enough for him to 
you know, step into that starting role. So maybe not for the 2020 season, but looking into 2021 in the future, I, I think Hayes Crockett could definitely be a, be a guy that, that Monroe turns to. Absolutely. So before we get into the rest of the roster, I do just want to uh, level with the people at home that are listening to this. Uh, as of today, uh, today is August 23rd. ULM has not posted an official football roster on their website for the upcoming season. So what I'm having to do is kind of piece together statistics from different areas of the internet and also try to match up where these guys were in their eligibility when I'm looking through this team's roster. So just bear with me if I'm, if I end up making a mistake, I apologize, but the Warhawks really do need to get on that with the season, their season starting September 5th. Yeah. So, and you know, uh, Ryan, b- b- before we move on, you know, we were talking about Jeremy Hunt. I found a I found a little write up by him uh, about him. According to jcgridiron.com, he is rated the nation's number nine JUCO dual threat quarterback. And yeah. at in his time at Trinity Valley Community College, he accounted for two thousand six hundred and fifty three yards of total offense with twenty four touchdowns to only seven interceptions. Well, so that's the thing, and and I think his uh, timeline being shorter potentially than Colby Suits, uh, I think you can let Hunt be the starter, and if you think Suits has something down the line, just bench him. And, and, and I hate to say it, but, you know, with Hunt being that JUCO transfer, he's only got X amount of years left. So it, it's it's one of those things where, you know, even if you don't – even if you think Suits is the guy – and, and could potentially win the job. If it's anywhere close to being a competition, I think you have to give it to Hunt. So, uh, But going going into this year's roster, the number one on the offensive side of, the th- uh, of, of, side of things, uh, returning player, in my opinion, and I'm sure you, you feel roughly the same, Josh Johnson, their running back, uh, last year ran for almost 1,300 yards, had 11 touchdowns and averaged six and a half yards a carry, which is... It, it's t- it's tough to to have that sort of average, especially when you play for a team that you know we talked about finished under five hundred. Yeah, I mean Josh Johnson is is probably the third best returning running back in the conference. Um, with you know obviously the tandem of Elijah Mitchell and Trey Regis as as homers. That sounds of me. I think I believe they're the two best running backs in the Sun Belt for this coming season. And then, you know, Josh Johnson being not very far behind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of good running back talent in the Sun Belt. Uh, and I think Josh Johnson, f- for what he has to do offensively for this team, I think you have to throw him kind of in the mix uh, just because of the of the value that he provides to this team. Yeah, but for sure. It's tough looking, like I said, you know, when I when I was, uh, you know, trying to find this team's roster for the upcoming season. I mean, the the only really other player that immediately sticks out to me is tight tight end Josh Peterson, Mm -hmm. who I believe is an all Sunbelt caliber player. And I think he was actually named to the all Sunbelt team for his position. But he he returns team all Sunbelt. Yeah. So he's he's what one of the three best tight ends if not the best tight end in the in the conference so he he uh you know finished last year 567 yards and nine touchdowns i think that he could provide a nice uh 
uh, security safety blanket uh, type play for whoever ends up winning the quarterback job for the Warhawks. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this was kind of kept under wraps, but I say under wraps, it did get out, but he had entered the transfer portal at one point this offseason. He was he was going to leave ULM, uh, and then I think about two weeks later he decided against that decision. But uh, And another interesting fact about Josh Peterson, he is the son of Eagles head coach Doug Peterson. Wow, I actually I, I didn't know that. <laughs> Doug, Doug Peterson played quarterback at UL Monroe many moons ago. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, like, I, I've seen I've seen numerous occasions where Doug Peterson shows up to a Eagles press conference wearing his ULM cap. Interesting. Which, which always rubbed me the wrong way, but you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. So so looking at the this offense as it currently stands this year. Um, I, I almost feel like their best bet is to let Jeremy Hunt do his thing as a dual threat uh, type of quarterback, let Josh Johnson get another high volume of carries, and then just kind of run West Coast stuff to Josh Peterson. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's tough because they're, they're going to have to be a little conservative uh, just because of the lack of offensive weapons. How much they've lost, for sure. Yeah, and, and and you know you have to you have to replace Caleb Evans like we mentioned. So it, it's one of those things where you have to have someone give you at least seventy five percent of what his production was, both through the air and on the ground, in order to be competitive. Right. Yeah. So, um, but kind of transitioning to the defense, uh, I hate to say it, uh, Warhawk fans, not a lot to write home about here. Uh, they finished last season almost allowing 39 points per game to opposing offenses. That was good for third worst points per game in the entire FBS out of 130 teams. They finished 127th. You you know, we've talked about this with a couple of teams. They, They do have some defensive turnover, but it's almost, you almost have to ask, is it, is it good that they get some new blood in there? Maybe it'll help, uh, try to try to prevent other teams from scoring on them this year. Yeah, you know, I think a guy like Tyler Glass at free safety who, you know, he's he's their top tackler that's returning, had 75 tackles on the year last year. Um, you know, I think a guy like him is somebody who you're going to have to, you know, going to have to lean on. I think Corey Strotter is a is another corner that he was he was tops in the Sun Belt last year. I want to say he was second team in the Sun Belt, had five picks last year, which I think was third best in the country um so you know there's definitely some talent returning on defense one guy that i really like he didn't get a whole bunch of playing time last year is uh carrie starks gonna line up at dn for the warhawks i think he's a 6'2 235 got a quick first step i think he's a guy that can that can definitely do some damage and then redshirt freshman logan wilson he's a kansas state transfer he he redshirted at K-State last year, but he was highly touted out of high school. I think he's a guy that, you know, maybe maybe the Big 12 wasn't a great fit for him, but mm-hmm. you know, may, maybe the Sun Belt might be exactly what he's looking for. Uh, right. So I, th- I think he's a guy that can, that can maybe do some damage for the Warhawks defensively also. Right. Uh, you know, looking at it here, uh, the Warhawks on defense's biggest Achilles heel last year was stopping the run. Uh, so that might be something that the front seven might need to 
address right off the bat. You know, yeah. and it, and it's tough because there are a lot of good passing teams uh, offenses in the Sun Belt, but it, they they allowed on average two hundred and fifty two yards per game to opposing teams on the ground last year. So it it almost seems like you may need to bring eight or nine guys into the box and then just take the chance that one of these teams ends up throwing it over your head. But what what other option do you have if their front seven doesn't improve by leaps and bounds? Teams are just going to keep running it down their throat again. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I think the chances of you getting beat in the air in the Sun Belt is less than getting beaten on the ground. Um, yeah. Man, if you just look at the landscape of the Sun Belt, there are so many rush-heavy offenses. You know, Georgia Southern, you guys, Louisiana, App State, uh, you know, for Troy a while, can run the ball a little Troy bit. Troy can run the ball well. Uh, you know, for a little while last year, South Al ran the ball pretty well with Trey Minter. So, Georgia I mean, State ran the ball pretty well when you know they're right. having to replace their running back, but they so, you know they you ran know, the ball. I, I think I think the Sun Belt, although it has some great passing offenses, I think the Sun Belt's definitely a rush heavy league. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I agree with your philosophy. Put put eight nine guys in the box and then hope that. You know, only one out of five times you get beat through the air. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be tough. You know, you mentioned uh, Corey Strotter. Uh, he he led the uh, Warhawks last season with five interceptions. I, I think, I you know, your best bet is just stick Strotter on the best opposing receiver. Uh, hope he can shut him down. And then, you know, from there, uh, just let the chips fall where they may. But you absolutely cannot allow opposing offenses to run for 250 yards per game on the ground again and expect to win football games. But looking ahead to this season's schedule, uh, the Warhawks will open the season September 5th against Troy. So they're starting off hot uh, immediately with a a conference conference slate of games. Uh, They face Troy, Texas State, and Georgia Southern to open the year. You know, looking at their first three games of this upcoming season, what what do you think their win loss looks like after the first three weeks? Two two and one. Okay, two and one. Um, actually, no. Let me rephrase that. I'm gonna say one and two. I don't think mm-hmm. they destroy. Gotcha. I think I think yeah. Texas State's gonna be a winnable game for the Warhawks this year, um, but Georgia Southern and Troy. I, just, I don't see those teams being teams that ULM can can beat this year unless you catch them just on a on a really bad night. Yeah, or or Jeremy Hunt just ends up, or, or yeah, you know, turns into an absolute stud, right? Yeah, if he turns into the Sun Belt equivalent of Cam Newton potentially, then then Good all God. bets are off at that point, right? They <laughs> might they might go eleven and zero next year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so. You know, getting into the rest of their schedule, they they do play some of the bottom teams in the Sun Belt. You know, we mentioned Texas State. They do play South Alabama. Uh, Georgia State is going to have sort of a rebuilding year, but they do get you know the upper crust of the of the conference as well, playing App, uh, Arkansas State's always a good team. You guys in the finale as always, and then out of conference they get Liberty and Louisiana Tech. Do you believe that Liberty or Louisiana Tech are wins potentially for the Warhawks? Liberty could be. Louisiana Tech, absolutely not. 
Yeah. Um, there's only two teams in the Sun Belt that are beating Louisiana Tech, and that's Louisiana and App State. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as a as a UL fan, I'm not very happy with Louisiana Tech right now, so I won't I won't give them too much praise. But uh, yeah, Liberty, like I said, Liberty could be could be a winnable game for ULM, but I don't think I don't see Louisiana Tech being one. Yeah, I mean, as I take a look at the schedule today and and how it stands, I mean, I think the Warhawks come away with, you know, provided they don't add games at the last minute, I, I think they come away with three or four wins this year yeah. tops. Uh, you know, like you said, Liberty may be a winnable game. We don't know what that team looks like. They they re- lost their most explosive pass catcher in Antonio Gandy Golden uh, to the draft quarterback. Yeah, that too. Uh, you know, they face South Alabama. Uh, you never know what South Alabama is going to give you on a week-to-week basis. They may have figured out, you know, their quarterback position, which has been kind of their Achilles heel the last few years, is not having a stable guy uh, under center. But I, I don't see a way that they beat these teams. Like, you know, you mentioned Troy potentially is a, is a coin flip. Maybe uh, Georgia Southern, if if they return the same kind of uh, run stopping production they had last year. There's no way they beat the Eagles, uh, and then App and Arkansas State just feel like a no uh, for me. And you know, you guys, that game could be close because it's a rivalry game. But if they don't figure out their kicking woes, you know, may have right. just a rerun. Of last that, year, that's last how that's how we've won the game the last two years is they've missed field goals. Yeah. So looking at this this team as it stands, I. I think this is similar to the situation Georgia State is in. I think you're kind of building for 2021. And if you find your quarterback, whether it be, you know, we talked about Hunt, uh, we talked about Suits. I think if you, uh, the guy that you spoke about who was who was from their backyard, I think if you find your quarterback of the future this year, even if it's just for 2021, I think that's a successful season. But I don't see them, you know, making a run at a at a Sun Belt West, uh, you know, oh, no. conference title appearance right. or anything like that. So yeah, no, not at all. So wrapping up here, we've gone uh, pretty much in depth about everything related to the Warhawks that you could imagine. You know, what are your expectations for them this year, and any final thoughts on their season as a whole? You know, I, I, I hate to. I hate to be blunt and also rude, but they're again just like last year. They're not going to be very good, mm-hmm. in, in in my opinion. Uh, like you said, you know, three, four, maybe five, maybe go five and seven again. Um, but you know, like like I said, it's all like you said, and like I said, it's all going to come down to their quarterback situation and if they can fix the front seven. If, if they can fix those two issues, I think ULM has enough talent in other areas of the team where, you know, maybe six, even seven wins could be could be likely. But I don't think that it's time for that just yet. Gotcha. And if they if they play as if if they play in the way that we are projecting them to play, do you think Matt Viator returns for the 2021 campaign? I do not. Okay, you heard it here first, Warhawk fans. Uh, so just closing out here, Matt, f- uh, tell the folks at home where they can find you on social media. You can find my personal Twitter page at Matt, and you can also follow my UL Sports Podcast at Ragin Review.
on Twitter. Absolutely. Uh, I am Brian Stone. You can find me on Twitter at WatchTheStone. Coming up, we will dive into back into the eastern half of the Sun Belt and talk about the uh, Troy Trojans who were uh, impossible to get a handle on last year. (laughs) Yeah, they're fun. So we will get into that on the next edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sun Belt podcast. Thank you, folks. 